following is a true story and contains graphic details of a violent crime. Listener discretion is advised. Um, sometimes what people don't say mm-hmm. is louder than anything they could say. Welcome back to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. This is episode four. Earlier this week, you heard our bonus episode. We had the opportunity to interview Brandon Barnett, host and producer of the podcast Searching for Ghosts. In season one, Barnett investigates the disappearance of 14-year-old Casey McDaniel from Milan, Tennessee. Casey disappeared from her home in 1996, and as you may have heard, just last week there was an indictment for her murder. Family members of Casey McDaniel credit Barnett and the podcast for generating interest and advances in the 23-year-old case. It was really great talking with Brandon and very encouraging because that is why we do this. It is cases like Casey McDaniel's and Tara Grinstead's, as Brandon and I both referenced from the podcast Up and Vanished. That gives us a a ton of hope. If you listen to cases like Tara Grinstead's and the podcast host Payne Lindsay, he worked tirelessly, tirelessly, and eventually Payne received that one tip that he in turn shared with the GBI that inevitably led to the arrest of the murder of Tara Grinstead. This is why we want to keep stressing to everyone listening that any information you have, no matter how small you think it is, could be the piece that is missing. Sometimes I feel like we're sitting at a table putting together a jigsaw puzzle and every tip or each bit of information we receive is a puzzle piece that we're able to add to the frame of the puzzle. Slowly, and I'm starting to see a picture come through, but there are still some pieces missing. I mean, a lot of pieces that we're still hoping to find. I know. And like some days it feels like, you know, someone just like comes by and like knocks the table over and all the pieces are mixed up and they're all over the place. But, you know, it's okay. Like we just scoop them up and sort them all out, turn them all over and start from the beginning. So let's start there again, back at the beginning or back to the day when Carla and Vicky went missing. In episode three, we left off by saying that there was a witness that saw a blue truck and a brown car leaving that area at Land Between the Lakes. Well, we talked to several people that recounted that exact story Mr. Joe Stout told. And if you're wondering, yes, (laughs) Mr. Stout was related to the girls. So every day, Joe Stout would go down to the Lily Wofford Springs at Land Between the Lakes to collect water. He collected this water for their drinking, laundry, and the household chores. And as Joe was collecting his water on that September day, September 17, 1980, he noticed a blue truck and a brown car going in and out of the woods up, up that hill. He noticed them going in and out several times. And some people recollect him saying that he heard shots, um, but he thought it must have been hunters. Now, wait, do you mean like Randall Riggins's brown car? Well, Joe did tell someone, someone in the family, it was the same brown four-door LTD that belonged to Randall. However, the last we know of Randall's whereabouts from that day, he was in a yellowish-greenish van at the IGA with the girls and parted ways with them. They went on foot and he went back in the van, which we've heard could have been a van that belonged to a girl named Mary and possibly another girlfriend of of Randall Riggins. So to be clear, yes, it could have been his car, 
but it doesn't mean that he was the one who was in the car or was even in the car. Joe clearly saw the cars and could describe them, but it was December and the trees were still full, so he couldn't see through the trees and see who was inside or how many people were in each car. He did note that the cars sped up and down the hill more than once. The next day, when Joe heard that the girls were missing, he went to the sheriff's department to report what he witnessed. After he made his statement, Joe was run off the road by the very same blue truck he witnessed going in and out of the woods. From that point on, Mr. Stout was threatened by phone several times. The caller on the other end was threatening him and told him to remain quiet. Joe Stout is no longer with us. He confided in very few people about the steps he took to keep his family safe. He walked into Sheriff Hicks's office to request a gun permit and was denied. We asked our source if this was normal to be denied a permit upon request. We still aren't sure what the gun permit laws were in Tennessee at the time. However, Mr. Stout did keep a gun with him at all times. He took all measures necessary to protect himself and his family. Every time he left home, he told his wife to lock the door and not to let anyone in. But don't be fooled by her. She was also armed and ready for anything. Multiple, so- more, multiple sources have told us that just days later, Joe is sitting in his car at the IGA and two men in black suits and sunglasses in a car with tinted windows approached him and told him to keep what he saw days before to himself, which is unusual, I'll say, because the girls' bodies had not been found at that point. I think it's unusual altogether in Dover, Tennessee, at that point to have also had men in, men in black suits. <laughs> but Mr. Stout lived the remainder of his life protecting his family, all from being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Lenny, my big question is, if Mr. Stout reported this suspicious activity on the 17th, why, why wasn't that wooded area searched sooner? The girls weren't found for 18 days. No one thought to look there. Over the last couple of weeks, Lainey and I have been trying to get the files on Carla and Vicky's case. So we reached out to the Stewart County Sheriff's Department and they told us that all of the you know, case files had been turned over to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So we reached out to the TBI um, and requested the files under the Tennessee Open Records Act. And you know, we qu- requested to have the opportunity to inspect the files or you know, obtain the files you know, of public records. And, you know, we were denied, um, all, of our, all of our requests were denied by the TBI, and they stated that these records um, would not be disclosed, disclosed to us, and they would only be made public in compliance with the subpoena or, um, the, or from the order of the court. So, therefore, um, our request was denied um, for a second time, so we will keep trying, and... Um, so, yes, yeah, so after 40 years, um, these files are still being held, um, I guess, at the TBI, and we are going to keep trying. And we may eventually have to get a petition to try to get these files um, sent to us. Um, we do believe they contain information that will be helpful. And um, that's it for now. Um, but we're going to keep sending.
Thanks for all the tips and phone calls. We wanted to share with you guys today a question that we got from one of our listeners in New York City. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Lainey. Um, This is Alexis from New York City. I've been listening to your podcast, and um, I just finished on that day, and I was just confused because everyone seemed to be named Randy. Um, Could you just clear up so um, I can follow the story whether the gentlemen that talked on the phone about being in jail were the girl's brother, and if that was the same brother that wanted them to go get him a pack of cigarettes. Um, All right. Thanks, guys. Great job. Thanks for your question, Alexis. That's actually a fantastic question. There are a lot of our names within this story and several of the characters have names that are very similar. So we do have two brothers of the girls. One is named Roger and the other is named Randy. Um, Randy was the brother that we actually spoke to and interviewed on the phone and that you heard within the episode. Roger, however, was the brother that was actually at the home when the girls went to the store and he was waiting on them to return home because they were supposed to purchase him some cigarettes in which they never returned. Um, So that said, we have several characters with our names, including Randall Riggins, who was um, Vicky's boyfriend at the time and was seen with the girls. And we also have many characters that we haven't even introduced yet, like Tim Webb and others, who you'll understand a little bit more about in upcoming podcasts. Um, Also, I want to let you know, uh, we thank everybody for listening in and for sharing their thoughts, their questions, and any tips that they may have. We actually did receive the phone number of the girls, which was one of the questions that we had had previously in one of the earlier episodes, so thank you. I just want to let you guys know that every bit of information that we receive from you, we are putting to good use. So please continue to share any information or questions through our podcast app, or you can also reach out to us on our Facebook page, and we would love to hear from you. So thanks so much, and keep listening. Hey, Lainey. Hey, Amelia. What's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm good, but you're not going to believe what happened again as soon as you left. What happened? I guess I guess we could call this a tip line Thursdays. I don't know. Like you literally left and another, I got another phone call. I don't even know how, how someone got my phone number, but um, an anonymous caller called and told me something that I haven't heard this at all. And you can tell me if you've heard this, but she, this, she told me that Carla was scheduled to turn in state's evidence at the courthouse on the 18th. So the day after they went missing, Carla was scheduled to appear in court to turn in state's evidence. You're kidding. That is, uh, is that a potential motive? It sounds like a motive to me. I mean, uh, could be motive, right? I think could we have be. To- I think we have to investigate this further. I mean, this is 
And that's something I haven't heard yet. Mm. So I think we've got a lot of homework to do, and then uh, we'll get back, and uh, this will be for next week. Yeah, let's get on this. All right. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right. I thought I'd fill you in on that. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Carla and Vicky's story is now being heard in over 10 countries. Please tell your friends and go subscribe on Apple iTunes. Each five-star rating is helping spread the word about Carla and Vicky.